Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. And that whole restitution and the possibility of white supremacy and the Confederate statues, all that came around that time, Bill. So when I hear people say to black people, the Republican Party is the party of Lincoln. I heard one of our good friends, and I won't call his name, who is a candidate. He said, yeah, Odell, the party of Lincoln. And I'm like, wait a minute. If you don't know your history, you're bound to repeat it. And it's interesting, most of these were middle colleges that we did the first round. The thing that struck me was white people were the minority. Mm. It was made up of everything but white. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one, a token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. God, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy, and please continue to help us, God, and cover us as we continue your bidding. And God, above everything, we continue to say, God bless America. Amen. 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 Dear Heavenly Father, we lift up the veterans today, particularly those veterans that gave it all, gave their lives for our country. And uh, we honor them. We remember them. We thank God for them. And uh, we ask their families to have peace uh, with a lost member. Lord, uh, I know many people that have lost members in the military. And I know many people that have had relatives injured uh, seriously. Lord, we lift them up as we honor them for Memorial Day. Amen. You know, Bill, a lot of times people are asking me if they see me in the store or if they see me in church or they see me in the restaurant. The question is, how's Bill doing? And I have to be careful because I know that maybe just maybe they're asking for a lot of different reasons. You know, everybody knows who knows that. The whole idea of you being appointed on the school board and know that the local GOP has censored you. And since that time, they have offered to take you off a censor to come to a hearing of party disloyalty. But then the last time we found out that they were going to be a lawsuit in place. And now we found out that they have sued you and others on the school board, which is very interesting. So the question people keep asking me is, how's Bill doing? And I think about it from a couple of different ways. I said, many people who ask me are Bill's a friend, you know, so it's like they're friends of Bill, so they're concerned. But then others may be enemies of Bill, so they're haters. But the one that makes me cautious the most are many are what I call frenemies. 
And I know that's an oxymoron saying enemies disguised as friends. So I know you'll answer the question, how are you doing a little later on, but you look good. I feel good. Good. I feel good. good. In fact, I may even go out and run this afternoon. We'll see. Ah, well, the rain yeah. broke. Yeah. But, you know, do you think that our country, when you think about the debt ceiling deal that's been, you know, that just hit now and they're working through it. So there's no need to go into all the details because the details, like they say, the devil's in the details. But one thing we do know, Bill, and we hit it from what we used to say, 30,000 feet level. But now I could say, you know, we got drones out there. So from the drone level, it looked like the new agreement between Speaker of the House McCarthy and President Biden is allowed the federal government to borrow money and the debt ceiling suspended until 2025. And why is that significant? Because you and I both know, and all the listeners know that that's after the 2024 election. You know, cap on non-defense spending, protecting veterans' Medicare, expanding work requirements, and I'll talk a little bit about that later, clawbacks from COVID-19 relief funding, cut internal revenue service funding, and restart student loan repayments, and, you know, maintain climate and clean energy measures. And this is the funny one, though. Expedite the pipeline in West Virginia. Bill, what do you think about those things? I'll tell you what, it's all over the board. It sounds like uh, the boys were busy getting all their their items in. Capping non-defense spending, I think, is kind of interesting. And they took $20 billion away from the IRS, which is interesting. I don't know if you've had ever had to get something out of the IRS. It's very difficult now because they're understaffed and uh, it takes forever to get things done in there. And it uh, looks like they're going to take $30 billion from unobligated COVID-19 relief funding. So that's a pretty big number they're going to pull back. I think protect veterans Medicare, I think absolutely need to do that. Yes. I think restart student loan repayments also agreed to. I think that's a good thing. And expedite pipeline in West Virginia. It's a natural gas pipeline in West Virginia. I think there was obviously some horse trading there. <laughs> <laughs> so the senator from West Virginia. Yes, man. Here he goes again. Yeah. You know, I would just call style calling him the big joker. Those who play cards know what the big joker does. Uh, Manchin is just the big joker. We're just going to call him the joker because I think he's a registered Democratic senator, but he plays whatever side of the aisle he needs to play on the lookout for West Virginia. And I ain't mad at him, Bill, but obviously Manchin knows how to play the game. Well, it's interesting. You know, our daughter lives in Fayetteville, West Virginia. So we go up to visit. We head up, I think it's Route 19, where the, the bridge is the, over New River that they jump off of. And uh, crazy people. But <laughs> uh, as we drive up, mm -hmm. there's this construction area with thousands of pipes, huge pipes. Wow. I said, man, I wonder what that was for. Well, now I know it's for this pipeline. They've been staging stuff to do that and take natural gas out of West Virginia. And guess what? Now they're going to be natural gas as opposed to coal. Well, guess what? So Manchin says, hey, boys, you just keep staging it. I got this. Yeah. You just yep. keep staging it. So now all the permitting, all the permitting that was held up, all the things, environmental permitting, all those permits has miraculously is going to pass now. Yeah. You know, sometimes, and I get it because I know that usually the narrative with this kind of stuff is on, uh, you know, the have the whole idea of expanding work requirements. And I remember, Bill, back in 2016, 
I was invited up to the American Enterprise Institute. And, you know, for those who don't know, it's an independent think tank, a political think tank with no political institution positions, though, but it's a think tank. And I remember going there and we were talking about reforming the U.S. social safety net. And I'll play a little bit of that in a, in a minute. But that's people ask where these ideas come from. We have think tanks in Washington, D.C. and other places around the world where they bring in what they call the best and the brightest. But I don't know about that, Bill. I was invited, so I don't know. Maybe they lowered their standards. <laughs> but we went in there and they wanted to know what's the thoughts on what's going to happen down the road. But one of the things that didn't happen in this agreement, President Biden held on to the, you know, the whole thing about the debts for student debts. And I think the trickeration comes in is that he held on to it saying that I'm going to fight for it, but we all know it's now going to the Supreme Court to see if it's legal or not. And we know that the very conservative Supreme Court is knocking down everything. So even in the midst of it, it's still horsemanship and a lot of wheeling and dealing is going along. And if you're not paying attention you think it's all the Republican Party or you think it's all the Democratic Party, but it's all about wheeling and dealing, Bill. What say you, my friend? Well, you know, they agreed to lift the debt limit for two years so they don't have to go through this again. And uh, so that takes them through the election, which is probably what they wanted. It's like getting an increase on your credit card, basically, <laughs> is what we've done. But it's in trillions of dollars. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a great way to put it. You yeah. know, and Bill, I never really respected Speaker of the House because of everything that went through. And in previous shows, I called him Puppet of the House. But, you know, I have to kind of tip my hat to him in the fact that he's moved away from the Donald Trump type influence because Trump said, let's let it fail if we have to. And if the only way we're going to sign it, if the Republican gets everything they want, including the kitchen sink. Now, McCarthy, one time he would never cross Donald Trump or is looking out for the United States of America crossing Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, it's I saw an ad. Somebody's running ads today against Donald Trump where he said they should default. And then it goes through a list of things that that would cause problems with, not only here in our country, but worldwide. And uh, it's basically saying you're not going to pay your bills. Wow. I didn't see that. What, what station is that stuff running on? I, I didn't see it. I think I saw it on Channel 8 or 12 Fox. Wow. Wow. So now all of a sudden, people are not concerned with Trump as much as they were. But let me say something. Before I play this piece back in 2016, what I was talking about as far as reforming the social safety net, the Republican Party may try to be moving away from Trump. But Trump is not going to let the Republican Party go like that. I look at it again as a bad relationship where the Republican Party is going to have to get a 50B, a 50B or a restraining order against Trump. I just believe that. And you're like, Odell, you know, you need to quit saying that. I believe that. I believe that previous President Trump or whatever we say feels that he owns the Republican Party bill. What say you? I agree. You know, he's got into this power thing. And uh, it's a big deal for him to, you know, be president of the United States, which is the most powerful leader in the world. And uh, I think he liked that role. And I think he, he wants it back. But it's not his bill. It's similar to Guilford County GOP, local GOP school board seat. It's not theirs. It's the people's. Mm -hmm. But don't want to get into that. So I'm going to 
take a minute, Bill, if you allow me, and just play something that we talked about in 2016. Okay. First up will be Odell Cleveland, who is currently the Chief Administrative Officer for Mount Zion Baptist Church of Greensboro, North Carolina. He was the President, CEO, and co-founder of the Welfare Reform Liaison Project in Greensboro, which began in 1997 as a ministry of Mount Zion and became the nation's first faith-based community action agency. He has developed a broad range of partnerships at a national, state, and local levels, including with the White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships, the North Carolina AARP, and the North Carolina Medical Society Foundation. Mm -hmm. Odell, we're glad to have you. Uh, I'll start with Odell. Thank you very much. Good. Just want to say thank you all for coming. It's interesting when they talk about the time, everyone looks at the Baptist preacher and said, okay, that's what you need to keep the time for. You know, uh, we got... First, just glad that this discussion is on the table in a form that goes on both sides of the aisle. When I read the book, A Conservative Heart, and I look at the other reports, it's very interesting because 20 years ago when I got into this business, I was in divinity school and I was doing my master's thesis when the 1996 Welfare Reform Act came out. And the thesis was the black church's response to the 1996 Welfare Reform Act. And in that piece of paper, we talked about how can we do this and then 10, 15 years later, we were able to move folks off of the welfare rolls to the point that they had about $11 million in earnings. What we didn't do a good job of is to document how much saved us from if Odell was on the system. You know, when you look at that number line, the zero, when we start looking at the negative part, how much savings did it come to the bottom line? But when you start looking at the human impact in folks' lives, how all of a sudden people start feeling good about themselves because they were working. All of a sudden they were being successful. All of a sudden you had the faith community, and in particular in the black community, the faith community that so many people believe in is on the front lines on helping people, giving them a hand up, not a hand out. And being the cheerleader and helping and going into the community, helping business owners say, hey, listen, you don't, go ha you don't have to go halfway around the world on a mission trip. I have a mission for you right around the corner. Come on, exercise your faith and get involved and let's help create jobs. Let's help with all these kind of things. And that's how we became so successful. But as to understand, though, one of the things that we did is that fact that people who didn't want help, we left them alone. You cannot make somebody want to change. And I think in part of the discussion when I read the papers, it's a lot of it you're going to make someone or encourage someone to get married. Well, someone who's been married for 31 years, who loved my wife, who my nose is wide open and all that good stuff, that's for the young guys in the group, you know, you have to want to be married. No form of legislation is going to make someone get married. But I was so disappointed when I read that the current administration took the work requirements out. The work requirements must be put back in and it must stay in because that's a big driver that helps make all this work. Because if you're asking the social workers in the DSS systems, Department of Social Service, that's what we refer to in North Carolina, systems to be job developers, that's not going to work. That's not their forte. So when they partner with us, usually they give you the hardest to serve because no one's, you know, people understand the game. They usually give the faith community the hardest to serve. How are you going to get this person employed, Odell? And that's when we do our miracles. No 
hocus pocus, just going, building relationships with business owners, getting them to buy in and making a success. And when you get through having them buy in, you go back to the individual and you get him or her to buy in. So believe it or not, the Baptist preacher is going to push the time on because I look forward to the discussion. I'm just so, so excited that we're having this conversation because in spite of people's biases, prejudice, and stereotypes about poor people, especially poor black people who look like me, a lot of your stereotypes are not accurate. And my purpose here today, along with others, is to make you wrestle with your stereotypes. We can show success. We can show that people want a hand up, not a hand out. But also part of the system, a lot of the problem is systemic. And I'll end with this. Some people have seen the safety net, which is a metaphor for our social programs. And they turn it into a hammock. Some people see poverty as a pillow. And yes, maybe it has some lumps in it, but you know, you can get used to a lumpy pillow. But you stay in the safety net or the hammock long enough. And that what was there to protect you end up ensnaring you, entrapping you, entangling you with life issues. And when you get ready to move, you can't move. It's a problem. So it's systemic. And a lot of the problem is us. We look for the enemy and the enemy was us. We put things in place where Odell didn't have to work. You don't have to do anything, Odell, so if I don't have to do anything. For some of us, I'm not going to do anything. And now we blame us for what we created. I know it's no amens, but I'm going to push it to the next person. Thank you. Amen. You know, Bill, it's wow, interesting. That was good. That well, was thank you. Good. You know, we, that's seven years ago. That's seven years ago in a think tank talking to people saying, guys, this is the problem. And so when we look at this whole idea of expanding work requirements that we're going back and forth with today, with, if we're not careful, the whole narrative would say the whole brink of the United States economy is dancing on the pin of a needle called expanding work requirements for those who are getting food stamps for poor people. And you and I both know poor people are not running things in America. However, I understand it. And what I said seven years ago that I definitely believe in a hand up, not a hand out. And I do believe in work requirements when I knew then. I don't know what the new work requirements are. So let's let me say without knowing all the details in general, I do believe that those who have the ability, they should be working for social net entities. That's just my thought, Bill, your thought before we move on. I'd like to see what the work requirements were before and what they're adding. Before I answer that question, I think, uh, you know, I didn't even know there were work requirements for yeah. this stuff. Do you know what they were before? Yeah, uh, 1996 welfare reform bill where Bill Clinton came in and said that the individuals, if you're going to get assistance for your family, then you need to either be going to school or doing some form of work instead of sitting home getting a check. And we'll talk a little bit more about that because Ronald Reagan in the 80s made the infamous welfare queen, you know, the whole idea of here's this black female riding around with a bunch of different kids and Cadillacs and everything else. But that was part of the party of Lincoln at the time. And we will definitely get into that. Question for you, Bill. You know, this whole thing with the lawsuit and the whole thing on the censoring and 
party this loyalty trial and put that off of the lawsuit. And I know you can't go into the lawsuit because of the, it's a lawsuit, it's an ongoing lawsuit. But it's interesting that if this individuals sued everybody on the school board, did they sue the attorney also? You're right. I can't talk too much about that, but this is all related to my being appointed to the school board in Guilford County. It's a public record, so it's not anything we can't say in public what the charges are. But uh, the interesting thing is who brought the lawsuit? There are three Republicans and six Democrats on the uh, school board. I think we work pretty good as a team overall. In fact, we had a board retreat, and two of the people that are suing us are the Republicans on the school board. You're a Republican on the school board, too, man. Yeah, they're suing me because they don't think I should be in that seat, and they want a judge to rule on the law that was changed and uh, see if it's legal. I think there was something about open meetings is another issue. So we're just going to have to let the courts sort it out. And then, quite frankly, uh, next year, we'll let the voters sort it out. Well, you know, Bill, it's interesting. The school boards around the country is the new culture war battleground. So I asked my friend again for those many people who are friends of Bill who are concerned. But I'm going to even ask for those who are enemies of Bill, who are your haters, and also for the frenemies the oxymorons, those individuals who are enemies disguised as friends. So, Bill, what would you say to those three groups of people? Welcome, everyone. It's a big tent. And uh, if we stay focused on the kids, we'll do the right thing. If you get caught up in politics, you're going to be caught up in politics. I choose not to do that. I choose to work for the kids and the parents in my district and throughout the county. So far, I've been to 10 graduation ceremonies. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. 10 graduation ceremonies? Right. So you know the song. You know the song. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, you got that right. And uh, shook every every student's hand. You know, Guilford County, it's amazing. 5,000 students are graduating, okay? And uh, the 10 I went to, I still have 17 more to go. So I'll get to see all 5,000, which would be interesting, all these folks in your school district? All these in District no, 3? No, they, this is the whole district. But I want to go to everything because I want to learn. I want to wow. I want to meet people. I want to understand what their issues. The neatest thing that I observed was, you know, I had to get dressed up in the black robe and the pomp and circumstance coming in. I was like, holy cow. They got me a necklace or the thing you wear for your school alma mater. So we did that. But I noticed sitting on the stage, some of the kids were crying. Wait a minute. The kids that so many people in society today say don't care about anything, yeah. those kids were crying? And these are COVID kids. They had wow. two years of COVID, the end of their freshman years when COVID came, and the it went through their junior year. And so senior year was really the only year they had to socialize, get to know each other. So these kids struggled with all that. And still, 5,000 graduates, the average graduating grade has gone up. Wow. Significantly. And here's the kicker. These kids, 5,000 kids, were awarded $166 million worth of scholarships. So if we're doing something wrong, universities won't be giving scholarships to our students. Wow. And, you know, as I sat there, I could see the parents, the proud parents, you know, some pretty vocal, some just quiet. But uh, many times you could see the mom particular the valedictorian would come up and speak and 
he'd call out his mom and dad and brothers wow. and sisters. Mom was crying. And it's interesting. Most of these were middle colleges yeah. that we did the first round. The thing that struck me was white people were the minority. Mm. It was made up of everything but white. And, you know, these kids were getting grades averaging 4.5 and above. Wow. And one, a couple of them graduated from high school. And we had another line. They had them come back up again. And we gave them their associate's degree from college. They did that all together. And some of them took an extra year, but they got two degrees at one time. So, Bill, as a school board member, we're doing something right. I know all we hear is the negative about children this and children that. And I get that. And some of that is true. But man, it's so good to hear good report. It's so good to hear a good report. And the whole idea that, and I still I still can't phantom why you would go to every graduation there is in the whole county. Why not? Give me a good reason why I shouldn't. I got to meet the administrators, the principals, some of the staff, some of the parents, some of the kids. That's the end product, getting them graduated and on their way. So why not be there to see that? And now I had nothing to do with it. Obviously, it's all about the parents. But these kids went through COVID. I mean, mm. that's a whole nother kettle of fish uh, for these poor kids. You know, it's interesting. You remind me so much of when I was in D.C. back in 2016. Speaker of the House Paul Ryan was there. And I would sit and talk to him. And he was a different type of dude. You know, he's a different type of dude. And um, it's just way? interesting. In what way? And he just cared about poverty. A big part of him was, yes, he was political, of course, but he was able to see beyond the politics, just like you're seeing beyond the politics. Man, you're getting incoming fired like crazy, and you're going to every graduation. And I asked you how you're doing, and you said, it's about the kids, Odell. I'm going to every graduation. That's how I'm doing. I'm shaking every hand. That's how I'm doing. I'm watching the parents. I'm watching the students cry. I'm watching the parents cry. I see poor black kids, brown kids, white kids, rich kids, all these kids there. And that's when I ask you, why are you going? You're like, why not? Yeah, it makes sense for me to do it. You know, I've been to now probably six of my schools and uh, been to probably 10 events outside of that. And, wow. uh, you know, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I, I had lunch yesterday with a young man that graduated from Grimsley. Great young kid. He graduated from college already from NC State. And he has a blog about Grimsley and he's very passionate about Grimsley. Wow. So he said uh, when they were rebuilding one of the schools next to Grimsley, they took over the baseball field and the soccer field, mm -hmm. another field. And that's where they're putting a new school. Right. Which displaced all the people that played there. Wow. There was a group that said, why don't you leave that alone? There's other land there that you can do it. And so make a long story short, the school did take over those parts. So he wanted to know me about that, wanted me to know about that. And a couple other things going on at Grimsley. And I told him, hey, look, at I'm happy to dig in and find out information for you. And then he, he shared with me that he tried to reach out to past school board members, mm. a couple. I'm not going to name them. And uh, they didn't even call him back. Wow. And then he finally got in front of the school board to do three minutes. And they then engaged with him. But he said they didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. 
He said, you're the uh. first school board member that came and sat with him. I sat with him for an hour and a half. And uh, when I got done, I said, are you Democrat or Republican? And he looked at me and I said, it doesn't matter to me. Wow. And uh, he said, well, I'm a Republican. And I said, would you like to work on my campaign? Wow. And he, he's going to think about it. I didn't want an answer then. I said, think about it. So the question, the answer, so obviously the answer to the question, how's Bill doing? For the friends of Bill who's concerned, for the enemies of Bill who are haters, and for the frenemies, which is the oxymoron, enemies disguised as friends, I guess we would say Bill is hanging in there and Bill is doing okay. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. This week is a big week for me with scouting. I finish up all my scouting stuff. I'm going to Atlanta for the national meeting and turn the keys over to uh, some other folks. Get to see some old friends that I haven't seen since 19. Well, you said keys over. What positions do you have in scouting before I switch over to our last issue for today? Uh, national chairman for communication. National to, mean the whole country, the United States of America. Yes, to reach 7.5 million alumni. I'm in charge of the communication, social media, website, LinkedIn, all that stuff. Wow. Coordinate. I, I don't do the work. No, volu- I, I, Volunteers I do the work. So, yeah. so I'm turning that over. And then um, also the culture change program, the Polaris method that we developed. Yeah. I'm going to probably turn that over. I may go and teach class every now and then, but uh, I'm going to turn that over. And then uh, my national service territory, where I'm vice chair. They didn't invite me back, mm-hmm. which is okay. God opened another door. Got so, it. Uh, so I'm not going to be doing that. And that was 20 consoles that are, or 19 wow. consoles. So all that's kind of stopping. And uh, I'm looking forward to dedicating myself to the school board. Good for you. Thank you. Bill, I'm, I'm going to, the last subject, you know, we talked about how's Bill doing, and then we asked a question and didn't get an answer, didn't want to answer. Then we went into what's the U.S. debt ceiling all about and that deal. And we talked about that and we talked about where we think is going, that at the end of the day, expanding work. And then we went back and said, hey, what you're doing now in Guilford County could be a Harvard case study. I remember when we were in Harvard I had to do case studies, didn't understand what it was, but what's going on here, I would not be surprised if this is not national very soon. The last thing we want to talk about today is the party of Lincoln. And just a little short history, because when you think about the party of Lincoln, have you ever heard the term, Bill, yellow dog Democrat? I have, but what does that mean? Well, the way I heard it, I was in... um, Anniston, Alabama, years ago, a young guy, uh, the community brought me in to do some work training. And I was sitting in this fish house on a Friday evening, way back in Alabama. I'm the only black person in there. And I'm like, okay, uh, usually the waiters or the waiters are black or the cooks in the back. No. So I heard some people sit down and start talking about a yellow dog Democrat. And I didn't know and I didn't look around. I just mind my own business. Right. So I went back and said, what's a yellow dog Democrat? I didn't know. So it's a political term that was applied to voters in the southern United States, the South, the good old South where I love, who voted solely for candidates who represented the Democratic Party. Now, I'm going somewhere here and the term originated in the late 19th century. Those voters would allegedly vote for a yellow dog before they would vote for a Republican. Now, think about it. And I'm, we're talking about the party of Lincoln. In those days, the Democrats of the South said that they would rather vote for a yellow dog before they voted for a Republican. And anybody knows anything about dogs in the South, we know the difference between a mutt and a pure breed. Right. Yeah, that's right. So that's kind we're, of what we're both mutts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what they were saying. 
they will vote for a mutt instead of Prubery. You know, just to kind of go back real quickly, Bill, a quick history lesson, and I'll be short to understand some of the reasons the South went from a largely Democratic region to a primary Republican area today. We have just followed the decades of racial issues in the United States. You know, the Republican Party was originally founded in the mid 1800s to oppose two things immigration and the spread of slavery. That was it. That was the Republican Party saying that's what they were doing. The Republican Party was strictly secular party, meaning that it was up north. It wasn't even in the South. It just didn't exist in the South because, hey, the South could care less about immigration, but it did care about preserving slavery. So, you know, Bill, after the Civil War, the Democratic Party opposition to Republican reconstruction and legislation solidified the Democratic Party in the South, meaning that when Lincoln, Civil War, when it was over, the Republican Party said, hey, this is how we're going to do reconstruction in the South. And the South's like, no, no, no. The Democratic Party came to be more than a political party in the South. It came to be a defender of the way of life. And that whole restitution and the possibility of white supremacy and the Confederate statues, all that came around that time, Bill. So when I hear people say to black people, the Republican Party is the party of Lincoln. I heard one of our good friends, and I won't call his name, who is a candidate. He said, yeah, Odell, the party of Lincoln. And I'm like, wait a minute. If you don't know your history, you're bound to repeat it. So what do you think about that so far about the party of Lincoln, the party of Abraham Lincoln, the party of Lincoln in the South? Because for a long time, the Republican Party in the South, they didn't even get along at all. Now, you are from Midwest, so but you always political, though. So your views on the Republican Party, how it was in the South and I was in the South. And then I'll talk a little bit after that about this thing called the Dixiecrats to show you what happened. Okay. I think the Republican Party needs to move from their current position, which is controlled right now by Trump and the Magna Group, and get more mainstream. And I think that some of the issues that they pick on are legitimate and good to pick on, but there's some that you just need to just let go and let, you know, it's going to take maybe a generation of change. Uh, I'm not going to give you any specifics right now, but I know the Guilford County Republican Party because I've been part of it. Mm -hmm. I haven't been part of any other Republican Party in the state. There's other ones in each county and we have 100 counties. So, but it's interesting when I was running the Boy Scout, give me an analogy. Mm -hmm. when I was running a Boy Scout council here. I only knew this council. I only knew the way we ran it. I didn't know how other councils did. So when I got involved in the national basis, I've probably been to 35 different councils, maybe 40, and uh, got to see how they do their finance, how they do their program, mm -hmm. how they do everything, building funds. And I realized that just like anything, there's degrees of professionalism and degrees of effectiveness or ineffectiveness, depending on that particular culture of that group. There you go. I learned our council was kind of dysfunctional, mm. and it shows in the numbers. We have 100% turnover of the staff, not good, and our membership numbers keep dropping. When I was council president, we had about 8,500. We're down to around 2,500. So how do I compare that with the GOP of Guilford County? Mm -hmm. Okay, I've never met any other GOP. Right. All I can do is judge with what I've seen. And what I've seen is that they beat up their own. Mm. If you don't do what they say, 
It's like the mafia or the Gestapo. Dog, they're going to take you. That's kind of hard, man. Tell me how you really feel. Yeah, I'm going to read you something. Okay, remember this: nothing worth doing ever, ever, ever came easy. Hmm. Following your convictions means you must be willing to face criticism from those who lack the same courage to do what is right. Wow. Relish the opportunity to be an outsider. Embrace that label. Being an outsider is fine. Embrace the label because it's the outsiders who change the world. And it will make a real and lasting difference. The more that a broken system tells you that you are wrong, and the more certain you should be that you must keep pushing ahead. You must keep pushing forward. Never, ever give up. There will be times in your life that you want to quit. You want to go home. I can't do this. Mm. I can't do it. Just never quit. You will build a future where we have the courage to chase our dreams, no matter what the cynics and the doubters have to say. If you have the confidence to speak the hopes in your hearts and to express the love that stirs your soul, and you will have the faith to replace a broken establishment with a government that serves and protects the people. They're not coming after me. They're coming after you. Mm. And I'm just standing in the way. And I'll always stand in the way. That's how I feel about the Republican Party here, that they're not seeing the bigger picture of the kids, the families. They're all caught up in this man deserved this seat. Nobody deserves a seat. Mm. Okay. I didn't deserve the seat. I just volunteered. Okay. And I was, in the, you know, God made it happen, not me. Uh, wow. I didn't do any of the backroom stuff. So anyhow, I can't wait to get on a witness stand and share all that. You know, it's, it's interesting, Bill, what you said just touched me because I remember as a child, listen, not a child, but, you know, I was at, really into politics, the Pat Buchanan's of the world, and even the Bill O'Reilly with the O'Reilly factor and the culture warrior and all that day, you know, remember him and all these guys. And then when I started reading for myself and I go back to some point I made, then I'll keep moving when it was like, you know, after the Civil War, the Democratic Party opposition to Republican Reconstruction legislation solidified its hole in the South. The Democratic Party came to be more than a political party in the South. It came to be a defender of the way of life. And that way of life was the restoration as much as possible of white supremacy. The Confederate statues you see all around were primary erected by Democrats. And I think about the little town my family's from, Abbeville, South Carolina, and I go back there and try to do some work. And, you know, I'm old enough now that remembering or reading about President Harry Truman, who was a Democrat from the South, and everything was good until he signed the 1948 convention talking about civil rights. And you don't even think about it now. You know, and then all of a sudden, half the congregation left, half of the people in the party left called themselves Dixiecrats. And they had this gentleman by the name of Strom Thurmond. And I heard about Strom Thurmond and I heard about things like that. But now you get to know. And Thurmond was talking about something I'm very familiar with, state rights, you know, state rights. That was the big thing. And even though he didn't win, this reminded me of President Trump, even though Strom Thurmond didn't win. He came away with over a million popular votes, Bill. Mm. And after that, the majority of the South still continued to vote Democrat because it thought of the Republican Party as the party of Abraham Lincoln and Reconstruction. 
Now, so you think about that and what you just said, but the big split came between the Southerners and the Democratic Party when President Lyndon Johnson, who was a Southern Democrat, signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And historians said this. He said the night that Democrat President Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964, his special assistant, Bill Moyers was surprised to find the president looking melancholy in his bedroom. Moyer later wrote that when he asked what was wrong, Johnson replied, I think we just delivered the South to the Republican Party for a long time to come. So back to what you were saying, Bill, about culture, the GOP of Guilford County, is it the culture, Bill? What is it? Yeah, I think it is. I think, uh, you know, what happens is you get some people that have strong personalities and they kind of take over the style of the, they don't have an issue uh, screaming at somebody in a meeting Mm. and calling them out. They feel that's their right as an American and that's free speech. And I I agree, they do have free speech rights. But I do think that if there's a public meeting and there's Robert rules of order. You can't have chaos. You've got to have some structure. <laughs> Robert's rule. All right. Hey, hey, hey. the folks uh, uh, get Robert out of there. Listen, as we get ready to close, you, you remind me of something. You know, when I was in college, you have the whole thing about Republican Richard Nixon. And Nixon was interesting. And he had this strategy he called the Southern strategy that appealed to racism and Southern whites, you know, to get the vote. Then we had this other gentleman that everybody know about. Governor George Wallace from Alabama, who wanted segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. You know, all that, that's in 72. I was 12 years old. But this is my man, Ronald Reagan, who I like Reagan in so many ways. But, you know, the whole welfare queen and all that. But, you know, but by the time Ronald Reagan became president in 1980s, the Republican Party hold on white Southerners was firm. Today, the Republican Party remains the party of the South. And it's so ironic, Bill, outcomes considering that a century ago, white Southerners would never consider voting for the party of Lincoln. And now people run around saying we are the party of Lincoln. So, Bill, 100 years from now, you're going to be the man in Guilford County. You're going to be the man, Bill. So you just have to live for 100 years, just for 100 years. I I hope I can live that long because I want to (laughs) annoy a lot of people. And it's going to take me that long to get to them all. (laughs) Bill, as we close, and again, just it's a lot, man. It's just a lot in your fortitude and your ability to stand strong. And the question is, how is Bill? And everything that's going on, man, it's like... Just keep incoming. Yeah. Just keep incoming. Yeah. And you just keep doing what you're doing. What What is it that allow you to keep doing what you're doing? Because I'm. It's easy for me because I stay focused on the main thing, which are the kids, and all that other stuff is. Think of it as uh, incoming from Russia, and we got a bunch of Patriot missiles, and they're taking out those missiles that are coming. We still have missiles that fall from the sky and destroy some things, and hurt some people, but they're not getting to the core. You know, and that's kind of how I view it. You know, it's uh, interesting. We're going to start a campaign and uh, I'm going to need donors so we can, you know, start doing some advertising and some other stuff to get out there, yard signs and all that. So uh, the website is citizensforcommonground.org. And uh, 
it's a temporary site. We just put it up. Uh, we've got to fill in some things. And the other site is global for commonground.com. So if you go there, global for commonground.com, you'll see that. And there's a donate button. If you want to donate, that would be great. Uh, if not, just read what's there. Wow. So it is okay that you said Odell is not just that I'm doing well now. I'm running again. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. File in December. <laughs> okay. I've got a treasurer already. He's taking the class so we can do it. And uh, we set up, I got my uh, EIN number. I got my state corporation and just ready to set up a checking account. Should do that this week. Well, Bill, how do you find Common Ground for those who, some are your friends who's concerned about you. Some of them are enemies of Bill who, you know, they don't like you. They hate you. You're haters. And some of them are frenemies, some of them who come and look in your face and present themselves as friends, but they're really your enemies. It used to be a song, say, they smile in your face, but all the time they want to take your place, backstabbers, and said, oh, you stabbers. How do you find common ground with people who just hate you? The way I offer is let's sit down, have a cup of coffee and talk about it. And uh, most of the haters turn me down. They hide behind this keyboard. A couple of them come out and talk to us. And uh, one asks for forgiveness, which I accepted. Wow. I think I just sit and just say, hey, do you want to sit down and talk about it? You know, it's yesterday, one of the ladies at church grabbed me and she said, you just keep doing what you're doing. Get out in the community. Let people meet you. She says, don't you worry about those naysayers. You're going to be fine. Wow. And she's right. Yeah, I've got to get through the Republican primary. And then once I do that, then there's a general election. I think I'll be fine for that. So anyhow, we've got some wood to chop, and we'll talk more about that as I get things done. All right, my friend. Well, Bill, let's start the chopping, my friend. Yeah, let's do it. Love you, man. Have a good day. Same to you. Bye. Bye. Bill, as you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of their life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the best bed sheets ever. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. Odell, you know, Mike's making a special offer on these Giza sheets to our listeners. You can get this set of Giza sheets for as low as $29.98. You know, the first night I slept on these sheets, man, I'll never sleep on anything else again. Mike is making a special offer for our listeners. Yes. They can get the sheets, the Giza sheets for as low as $29.98. Yeah, that's right. Our listeners are the only ones that can get that. And the way they do that is they can get it a number of ways. One is you can call 1-800-238-7281. That's 800-238-7281. And use the promo code COMMON. Or you can go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code COMMON. That number again is 1-800-238-7281. And remember, use the promo code COMMON, C-O-M-M-O-N. Thank you so much for your support. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. All rights reserved. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, 
music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. <laughs> 